the Supreme Court hangs the Clean Water Act out to dry. That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. Last Thursday, the Supreme Court severely limited the Environmental Protection Agency's ability to ensure that waters in the country are free of contamination under the Clean Water Act. Five of the six conservative justices said that wetlands, swamps, and bogs, which don't have a continuous surface connection to a river or lake, are outside of the agency's authority. Humans have drained or filled wetlands for years for development or farming that causes loss of habitat, flooding, and reducing buffers to erosion. Wetlands are like sponges that absorb water with root systems that filter pollutants and hold soils in place. But the ruling means that about half of all wetlands and approximately 60% of streams in the country will no longer be protected by the Clean Water Act because they aren't connected on the surface. The case came out of Idaho, where a couple wanted to build a home near a lake and began backfilling some wetlands with gravel and sand. The EPA said that there would be fines if the project went forward. The Court of Appeals sided with the EPA, which said that water from the wetlands supplied the lake and was important to maintain water quality and support fish and wildlife. However, the Supreme Court said that the EPA went too far. Even conservative Justice Brett Kavanaugh disagreed with the decision, stating that the opinion will leave some adjacent wetlands no longer covered by the act, significantly affecting water quality and flood control in, for example, the Chesapeake Bay or the Mississippi River. Early last week, three of the seven states that make up the Colorado River Basin, California, Arizona, and Nevada, proposed to conserve an additional 3 million acre-feet of water by the end of 2026. In exchange, they would get $1.2 billion from the federal government. While the deal looks like progress on the goal to protect the two large reservoirs on the Colorado River, Lakes Powell and Mead, it's only a temporary fix and, according to some, does not go far enough. Also, it is yet to be accepted by the myriad water agencies that would be affected. Together, the reservoirs on the river serve 40 million people, businesses, and agriculture, but water levels have fallen because of climate change and drought. Last year, the Bureau of Reclamation had said that the states need to stop using as much as 2 to 4 million acre-feet from the river, about one-third of its average annual flow. However, the proposal by the lower basin states falls well short of that. The federal government will now analyze the new proposal under its review process. Despite what feels like an era of divisiveness, humans can and have united to solve environmental problems. Back in 1985, when scientists observed that concentrations of ozone were diminishing over Antarctica, eventually dubbed the ozone hole, countries rallied to sign the Montreal Protocol to reduce ozone-depleting substances commonly used in products such as refrigerators, air conditioners, and aerosols. It was not only a remarkable act of global cooperation, every country on Earth ratified it, but also successful, as nearly 99% of banned substances, such as chlorofluorocarbons, or CFCs, have been phased out, and the ozone layer, which protects us from ultraviolet rays of the sun, is on track to recover within four decades. And, according to a new study, that treaty is a gift that keeps on giving. 
Researchers led by Columbia University have found its implementation has delayed the Arctic from becoming completely ice-free in the summertime by as much as 15 years. That's because CFCs also trap heat in the atmosphere, and having fewer of them spared us around half a degree Celsius of global warming. For the Arctic, which is heating up faster than other places on Earth, the treaty prevented nearly 200,000 square miles of sea ice from disappearing forever. While the Montreal Protocol won't save us from climate change, the finding does demonstrate that when agreements are taken seriously and enforced, looking at you, Paris Accords, positive results can happen. And finally, summer is upon us, and if you're off to the beach, picnic in hand, inevitably seagulls will appear ready to snatch your sandwiches or snacks. But according to a new study, gulls are more discerning than their dive-bombing behavior might suggest. Researchers from the University of Sussex say the birds decide what to steal based on what we like to eat. They came to this conclusion by placing potato chips in two different colored packages, one green, one blue, on the ground near a group of gulls at Brighton Beach in the UK. They then sat nearby and ate from a package that matched just one of the colors and waited to see what would happen. The researchers say the birds would turn their heads to watch the munching humans, and if the gulls decided to make their move, nearly all, 95%, chose to peck the same colored package the scientist was holding. Furthermore, when the scientists sat without snacking, few birds approached the chips, but when the researchers started eating, Nearly half of the birds decided to check out the bags. Many animals learn from each other. However, in this case, the gulls were biased by human choices, something called stimulus enhancement, which the researchers say demonstrates the bird's intelligence. So don't try and trick them, okay, with some broccoli or healthy snacks. They're gulls, but they're not gullible. That's it for this week in water. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.